This is Andrea. Connie's here. And we've just been wondering about all things church or theology or discipleship or Jesus. In 20 minutes or less. This This is Just Wondering. Well, Connie, you're getting me excited. I don't know. Peter might have been my last pick. And I think discipleship goes deeper than that. That Jesus could sign. Really? Like, I just rose from the dead and like you're still on that. I thought we had moved past this by now. It's good to be back. Andrea and I are still just wondering. And today we're just wondering about a very familiar Bible story. A story about David and Bathsheba. And we found that as we discuss this story, it's so rich. There's so much content that we talked for longer than 20 minutes. Now, Connie has promised us all that we will not go beyond 20 minutes in this 20 minutes or less. (laughs) Exactly. So what we've decided to do, rather than cutting it down, we are releasing this David and Bathsheba episode in two parts. They're both going to come out today. You are listening to part one. So when you finish, if you have time, you can search and find part two and listen to, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. So, Connie, we're back for season two. I know, Andrea. I'm so excited. Uh, I'm so glad that Huffman number three is here (laughs) and that all of that has gone well. And uh, so, yeah, it's good to have you back. Thanks. It's good to be back. It's good to be no longer pregnant. Do you know what I mean? I'm totally happy with this. I really don't know what you mean, (laughs) but I'm going to take your word for it. I I do not need to experience that. Thank you. Uh, This season... Andrea and I are looking at some scripture passages, and we're trying to read those in ways that maybe we've never read them before or, th- or thought about them. And we're going to have conversations, we hope, with you, um, because we're recording these in real time. Mm-hmm. And so if you have some questions or um, a story or a person in the Bible you'd like for us to talk more about then email that to us because we're happy to do that. Today I'm going to start with Nathan. So Nathan, who is a prophet, uh, Israel always had a prophet, Mm -hmm. at least one that was appointed and anointed by God to, to be a voice among the people, even to the king, because Nathan goes to David. Now I'm thinking Nathan must have known David fairly well. This surely was not the first time they'd had a conversation. Right. And and don't forget, how do we first meet David? What's he doing? What's his job? He's a shepherd. Yep. yep. So he's taking care of sheep. Uh, he must have a love for sheep, and he knows how important they can be to the well-being of households. Right. So Nathan tells him this story. So there's two men in the same city. One is rich and one is poor. And the rich man, he's got all kinds of flocks of sheep. He's got herds of cattle. But the poor man has nothing but one female lamb, which he had bought and raised. So it grows up with him and his children as a member of the family. The lamb ate off his plate and drank (laughs) from his cup and slept on his bed. (laughs) And the scripture says in the message, it was like a daughter to him. Mm. So this is not a um, lamb that is ever going to be eaten by this family. It is is a a pet. It is a pet. It is a family pet. One day, a traveler drops by on the rich man. A visitor comes through, and he's staying with the rich man. But the rich man was too stingy. 
So this is not the practice of hospitality in the Middle East, let me just say. But he's too stingy to take an animal from his own flock or herd and make a meal for his visitor. So he turns to the poor man's lamb. He takes the family pet and he prepares a meal. He serves this family pet to his guest. The rich man steals the lamb from the family, kills it. Mm-hmm. Serves it to his guests. The, on, the only thing that this family had. Yeah. So Nathan tells David this story, and I think he must have known all of the trigger points it was going to have for David because David exploded in anger and says, as surely as God lives, the man who did this ought to be put to death as punishment. He must repay for the lamb four times over for his crime and his stinginess. And then, you know what Nathan says to David? It must have pierced like a sword. You're the man. Nathan is talking about what happened, you know, in our scripture, just one chapter earlier mm-hmm. with David and Bathsheba. Mm-hmm. And the scripture tells us that David was walking around on his rooftop one day, and we'll get into some of these more interesting details in a second, but the gist of the story is that David is walking around on his rooftop one late afternoon, and from his vantage point, he can see a woman who is bathing. And the scripture tells us that David thought this woman was very beautiful. So he sends his men out to inquire about her, and they come back and say, this is Bathsheba. She is Eliam's daughter, she is the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Mm -hmm. So David sends for Bathsheba. They bring her to the palace, and he sleeps with her. Mm. And then she goes home. Mm -hmm. And Mm. a little while later, Bathsheba sends word to David that she's pregnant. Mm. And David, you know, I think kind of panics. Mm -hmm. Uriah is a soldier, and he is out with the armies. David has him come back. And David says, you know, you've been working hard. You've been out fighting for us. Why don't you go home and take a break, have some rest, enjoy some time with your wife. And Uriah says, how can I go enjoy the pleasures of my wife when when my fellow soldiers, when your army is out there sleeping in tents and fields and fighting for our country? No, I won't do it. And so Uriah sleeps at the door to the castle that night with the other servants. So David has to go to plan B, which is let's get him drunk. So the scripture tells us that David got him drunk, hoping that he would then go home and uh, sleep with his wife. And Uriah still didn't do it. That very next night, he still slept at at the door of the palace. So David sends him back out to the field. And David writes a note to the general. The general's name is Joab. And he writes a note to Joab and sends it with Uriah. And Uriah hands it to Joab. And the note tells Joab to put Uriah where the fighting is the fiercest on the mm. front lines, and then to pull back everybody else except Uriah. This is a, a murder request. David is asking Joab to intentionally get Uriah murdered in battle. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what Joab does. And Joab sends word back to David that this has happened. Bathsheba hears about it, and the Bible tells us that she mourns mm-hmm. for her husband. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that after the time of mourning is over, David brings her to the palace and and marries her. That's that's where the story of this chapter ends. Mm-hmm. The last verse of this chapter says, mm-hmm. but the thing that David had done displeased 
the Lord. Mm-hmm. Now, most of us who grew up in church or know much about the Bible at all, this is a pretty prominent story. This mm-hmm. is really one of those infamous biblical stories that a lot of people hear about. Well, Hollywood helped that. Yeah, that's true, right? didn't they? There have been several Hollywood depictions of the David and Bathsheba story, which is always told as a as a love story mm-hmm. and an enticement story. Oh, even there's a Leonard Cohen song. You know that song oh, called right. Hallelujah. Right, right, and, right. Uh, you know, I think the second verse says, oh, your faith was strong, but you needed proof. You saw her bathing on the roof. Mm-hmm. Her beauty in the moonlight overthrew you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a reference to this story. Yeah. And I remember the first time I was talking to a youth group about this story, one of the girls said, but listen, why was she bathing on the roof anyway? Like... Did she want to be seen? Mm. Was she mm. was she kind of putting herself out there? Like, why else would you be bathing on the roof? Mm. And I realized in that moment, I've never thought about that question. It encouraged me to go back and take a deeper look, which is which is what I think we should do right now, Connie. Mm-hmm. Um, as you're reading the story again, because you've certainly heard it multiple times, what are some details that stuck out to you reading it again that maybe you think are noteworthy? Mm-hmm. Maybe we haven't really thought about some of these details before. Yeah. Well, I think one is a contrast between, um, at this point, the character of David and the character of Uriah. Mm. Because David, this was the time of the year which armies would go out and supposedly, whoever the leader of the army was would go with them. But right. David sends somebody else. Right. The very first verse of this chapter <laughs> yeah. says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab yep. with the king's army. Yep. And the scripture says, in, in different ways, depending on your translation, mm-hmm. but David stayed in Jerusalem. Yeah. I'm staying home from this battle. Yeah. Boys, let me know how it's going out there. Send word back, okay? Because I'm really curious. Uh, So that's a contrast of character. Someone who has abdicated, in a sense, his role. Yeah. To contrast to Uriah, who does not abdicate his role or responsibility, even when he is brought home, which he probably found a strange thing, Mm -hmm. off the battlefield, back to, to Jerusalem, and is told, hey, go home, enjoy being with your wife, get some rest, enjoy the comforts and the pleasure of, of being there with her, uh, and then you can go back to the battlefield. Mm-hmm. And Uriah sees that as an incongruent element of leadership if he does that, because here his men are all out on, on the battlefield, and and yet he's going to get to do something that every one of them would want to do but cannot do. And so he stays with them at the, at the door of the, the palace yeah. and it refuses to go. That's one thing that strikes me about this, that when it comes to who does the right thing here, mm-hmm. it's not, it's not, it's not David famous King David in any way. Mm-mm. Famous King David, who we know as a man after God's own heart and a friend of God. And yet in this story, that just wasn't true. Yeah. One of the other details that stuck out to me as I went back and looked deeply is that uh, one evening David gets up from his bed and he's walking around on the roof of the palace. Mm-hmm. And from the roof, he sees a woman bathing and she was very beautiful. Mm-hmm. Unlike the Leonard Cohen song, mm-hmm. Bathsheba is not bathing on a roof. Mm-hmm. 
Bathsheba is bathing, presumably, I think we can accurately assume, that she's bathing in the normal place that most everybody bathed, Mm -hmm. wherever Mm -hmm. that was. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. David, from his castle, from the roof of his grand house, has a vantage point that not a whole lot of other people have. And I don't know, we'd have to do some more research, but it's possible that where she was bathing and why she was bathing bathing is specific to her having been a woman. Because it could have been her ceremonial bathing area, which could have been out and away from the living area of the house because it was taking her from an unclean state as a woman who had monthly cycles mm-hmm. to a clean state so she could reemerge in the family household in the Right. So, right. And there are all sorts of kind of obscure, you know, Old Testament references to women going outside of the city, women being separate from their family when they're Mm -hmm. in that time of the month, Mm -hmm. and that there are requirements for the ritual bath Mm -hmm. to, you know, get you pure again so that then you can go have relations with your spouse again. So it could be that she was in a different place and she was doing it because the law of God told her to do it that way. Exactly. Which brings maybe to us as women a point that we might think about and see that that maybe men reading this verse might not. And that is, you know, it was, it was always interesting to me that out of one night, then she's pregnant. But it kind of makes sense in terms of the timing. Yes, because based on the numbers, you go through your monthly cycle and then you have this time of uncleanliness where you have to wait even once it's over and then you can have your purification bath and then you're clean again and it's right right at that moment Mm -hmm. that in the regular course of the monthly cycle you're most likely to be ovulating Mm -hmm. so it makes complete sense that this would be the time when she gets pregnant yeah so that sort of makes sense to me yeah all right yeah another thing uh uh, oh wait hang on connie i want to push back on something you said yeah because it is a common it's a common thing but i just looked it up again in the scripture you talked about how they had this one night together Mm -hmm. right which is what we all think. Um, What the scripture actually says, and this is a very interesting detail. It says, this is verse four. She came to him. He slept with her. Then she went back home. Mm -hmm. I'm not even sure she stayed the whole night. I don't think that this was like they did their thing and then they slept in bed together and woke up the next morning and she went home. It sounds like Mm -hmm. it was a bring her to me. I'm going to have my way with her. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter what she wants. Doesn't matter that she's married. Doesn't like, she does not have the ability to say, no, I'm going to do what I want. And then once I get what I want, I'm going to send her back home. So unlike all those Hollywood movies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They have no relationship. No. This is not a love story. No, it's not an illicit affair. It's not mm-hmm. something mm-hmm. that we get any clue that Bathsheba was in on in any way. Mm-hmm. This is a king, a man of power taking what he wants, and not caring who he hurts when he does it. Mm -hmm. Bathsheba was the victim. Mm -hmm. She was not a consensual partner in this action. Right. And it makes me think about when anyone who becomes a victim, in any sense of the word, all of the things that they bring on in their own mind about what they have done wrong, what they did to cause this, what they, they, they... And it's shame and guilt and 
Andrea. David didn't even know who she was. Right. How could Bathsheba be responsible? He, as you said, he was the king. She did not have the right of refusal. Right. So it is very much the same for other victims. It, yes, absolutely. And Connie, I'm gonna. I want to ask you this question. I don't remember ever hearing the story told where where people really overtly talked about Bathsheba as if she had done anything wrong. I mean, they played it off like it was a relationship. Mm-hmm. They played it off like it was right. an illicit affair that right. they were they a love both, story. Yes, they both wanted. Mm-hmm. And most of the time, I heard it. It was it was almost a warning to men to not be tempted implicit in that message was that Bathsheba was a temptress that in some capacity she was asking for this she wanted the attention which goes back to what that youth student said of why was she bathing on the roof in the first place I'm sure I'm thinking about our society when I think about this when we talk about this happening to women and one of the first questions that people ask is well what was she doing Mm -hmm. well what was she wearing Mm -hmm. so Maybe I'm reading into it, but I'm wondering from your experience, did you ever get the impression, even if it was like implicit, that Bathsheba had somehow brought this on, that she she had somehow tempted David intentionally? My understanding of this story was probably more informed by Hollywood. Mm than it was by a careful reading of scripture, if I'm honest. Yeah. So we talked about season one about biblical interpretation. Yes. So Andrea, if we read this story through the lens of Jesus, not Hollywood, now what do we see that we have not seen before? And I think we're talking about some of those things. Yeah, I think I think you're right. Um, one other thing that is is obvious to me, nowhere does it record Bathsheba saying anything. So in that sense, she has no voice in this in this story, right? That is exactly one of the things that I realized once I did start looking at this story through the lens of Jesus. Mm-hmm. We know that Jesus was radical in the way he treated women. Mm-hmm. He was radical that he let women sit and learn from him. Mm-hmm. That was unheard of. Mm-hmm. He talked to them. Women supported his ministry with their money. Yes. Women were very much a part of what Jesus was doing on this earth. Yeah. And it's looking through that lens that I looked back at this story and thought, wait a second. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure we're looking at this the right way. I think we're missing something. And the main thing we're missing is Bathsheba's voice. Bathsheba's, I don't know, I almost want to say justice for Bathsheba. Yeah, I think when we only read it through the lens of Hollywood, we we will continue to perpetuate all of the harm that that has done to perpetuate the suffering of mm-hmm. victims. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Right. So we read it through the lens of Jesus, and we say, well, now, wait a minute here. Um, this was Uriah's only lamb. Mm. Back to Nathan's story. Yeah, yeah. Now, here's here's an interesting piece. Yeah. Back to the story and reading through the lens of Jesus. When David confesses to Nathan, I've sinned against God. 
Nathan has a response. Yes, <laughs> you did. But that's not the last word. Are there things that you're just wondering about? Connie and I would love to hear from you. Send us an email with your thoughts and we'd be happy to talk about it on the podcast. We're grateful to Charles Smith for helping us record these episodes and to Hook Sounds for allowing us to download this music titled Save the World. <laughs>